0: Today's episode of Tarpod is brought to you by the brilliant people at the Recruitment Events Company Australia and New Zealand, and that's quite a mouthful.
1: Yes, Lauren, and what they've been dishing up is way more than a mouthful. Did you know they've been running the most amazing events for talent acquisition community for the past four years?
0: I know, and you're (laughs) not wrong. They're renowned for their strong community, and let's not forget the brilliant, most fabulous rec fest a one-day celebration of everything recruitment and ta
1: and later this year they're going to be bringing us new events including next wave talent in july and talent tech rising in september so jump on their mailing list now by visiting recruitmentevents.com.au. so get around andrea and the team and don't forget to tell them that tarpod sent you
0: Welcome to Tarpod, the podcast for everything talent acquisition and recruitment. We're informative, controversial and a little bit crazy. Now please join your hosts and industry leaders, Lauren Sharp and Craig Watson.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to Tarpod. I'm Craig. And I'm
0: Lauren. I hope you're all hanging well out there in COVID-19 land. Hanging well. Well, who knows, you could be doing anything right now at home in your pyjamas, but today I would like to welcome Rebecca Horton to the panel.
1: Hey Rebecca, welcome.
0: Hello, hello, how are you? Oh, we're good. The crowd's gone wild. Now, Rebecca, as most of you know, is the director of Bold HR, doing business differently and helping HR transform businesses and TA and all of the other, and she's my coach. (laughs) (laughs) So, everybody, welcome to Rebecca. And um, how are you going? Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all, thanks. I think, like everybody, I've had
2: that kind of, that, Groundhog Day realisation I think the uh, the novelty is well and truly worn off and it's officially really, really boring You know, I, I clicked for the first time ever on one of those EAP emails because it asked the question, have your drinking habits changed? And I thought, Oh, uh, yeah <laughs> Yeah, actually they have! Because, you know, you don't have that, that hard break anymore of, of going home or going to the office that means that you're on, you know it's like, time to start work, time to stop work It, it just is a complete blur, isn't yeah. it, of um, continual working and homing at the same
0: time yeah so, just moving yeah. from the dining room table to the couch to the dining room table to the couch <laughs> That's it. and staring
2: hoping that something more interesting will happen yes yeah. yeah, exactly uh-huh. yeah
1: hey rebecca before we start getting really in depth here what we start every podcast with is a small question about how you got into recruitment. And I'd really love, because even back prior to that, I understand you studied ancient and medieval history at Birmingham um, mm, yeah. Uni. So really? how did that prepare you for a career in <laughs> recruitment? And then tell us a bit about your, your journey. Um,
2: well, well, well you've, gone, you've gone back way back, haven't you? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a stalker. <laughs> um yes yeah, so i did I, I studied um ancient history and medieval history at fermi muni how did that prepare me for <laughs> a career at talent mm-hmm. i could i could make it sound really strategic and clever but uh but I'll, but i'll tell you the truth i i did a um i will tell you the truth and said i did, i did those degrees because i knew i would do well i love stories and mm. i love understanding how things happened and why things happened so i'm you know those those who know me i'm quite a deep thinker and I think about kind of higher order connections to try and make sense of what we do next. So for me, looking back was a really brilliant training ground for understanding mm-hmm. how to do that. It's a good discipline, right? Because you you get a brilliant understanding of economic, social, global, geopolitical. You know, you, you actually get trained to think that way when you study mm-hmm. history. Mm. Um, and buckets of shitload good stories. Like, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. the truth is the truth is stranger than fiction. You do right. not need to read a made-up story ever if you read history stories. Exactly. So, so I loved it. So I absolutely loved it. And yes, as predicted, did really, really well without actually having to do a day's work in my life, which was great. Because <laughs> um, that's that's the other thing that people will know about me. I'm quite lazy. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm all for shortcuts. So so that that was where it that was where it started. And then it, my first job, I got a, a scholarship to be a, a PR grad. Well, you know, grad. Scholarship graduate for Guinness, um, which I thought was like you know jackpot. So dreadfully excited, mm-hmm. and then uh, went and worked on site at Guinness. And I don't know if anyone's ever worked at Guinness uh, at a brewery. Oh, yeah, a really big brewery in uh, just outside London. Um, it absolutely stinks.
0: <laughs> the, 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 like the stale smell. carpet in a
2: uni pub oh
0: god <laughs> just awful awful
2: com- it's a combination of sticky carpet pub and and burned beer Ugh. oh gosh and it's terrible and it's sticky and it kind of yeah i lasted three months it just made me want to be sick every day i think so we'd really all kill
1: like, we'd all kill for that smell right now though going into a I pub know. or something wouldn't we yeah, <right>.
2: So, so yeah, so I, I quit at three months, and I, was, you know, I was lost and a bit depressed and a bit uncertain. And then some recruiter said, "What about my job?" And you know when you know when you have one, so the heavens opened and the light kind of shone down. And I went, "Oh my God, you have a job!" And he kind of looked at me like, "Maybe you're not as smart as I think you are." <laughs> <laughs>
3: and
2: I said, like, "No, no, I mean, I'm always looking through you to the job." that you represent, I'm always looking through you to the end goal, which is the career of my choice and what you're enabling me to do. But I've never looked at you as a career, never looked at your industry. I've always looked through it. And, and honestly, it was, it was complete epiphany. And it probably, you know, I'd be what, 24, 25? And it just slapped me around the face. And <laughs> I think I've been stuck it in ever since, actually. About two years in, I went for a management role and I didn't get it. Um, and I really got quite disruptive, because, you, know, <laughs> you know, I've got all sorts of personality issues, as we'll find out over the course of the next <laughs> Um So, you know, I really thought, well, I'm, I'm the best performer, and therefore equals best leader. Like, we all know that that's actually not yep. true. The opposite is usually true. The best salespeople make terrible leaders. Um, so so that was, that was my first kind of fail. My first career fail was not getting the gig. And to be honest, I kind of tire-kicked for a bit. And... Uh, went and put myself on the market, so you know, really behaved very maturely, and I'm very <laughs> proud of myself. And then opened my own business, running uh, global quants and risk, so it's debt capital markets headhunter, basically. Um, so all very city of London, all million pound, you know, bonuses and handshakes and all sorts of bad, stupid stuff. Uh, Made made an absolute fortune, to be frank, an absolute fortune, and then decided that I was also burning out at about the same rate. Mm. So, uh, took my then-boyfriend off travelling around the world for a couple of years, um, and we ended up in Melbourne and didn't go back. That's fair Mm. enough. Melbourne's a lovely city. It is a lovely city, but, you know, I feel like I was kind of bamboozled. You know, Steve, who's my husband now, had been playing British-Australian football rules for a couple of years in
1: London. Who did and you play for? Wait, wait, who did you play for? Because I was... Oh, oh wait, wait, played I did I played, I played for five years and was president and a life member over there. I love it over there. What? Yes, who, yes, who, 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 who?
2: You were a you were powerful president. That's amazing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. So uh, he, play, he played at farms. I think it was the
1: London Griffins. Okay, yep, the Griffins. I was at Wandsworth Demons. <laughs> get out. Right, there you oh, go. So watch hell.
2: that so, so the London Griffins played in Carlton jerseys, so guess who Steve
1: support? Okay, so. yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Huh. Um, so, so, yeah, we're officially Carlton supporters. And uh, and he basically kind of came home from, from the pub and he went, we're going to go to Melbourne rather than Sydney. And I know that's not normal, but I think most of the people I've met that I really like, <laughs> they're all from Melbourne. and the, the few that I really don't like, they're all from Sydney. And I was like, <laughs> okay. A good uh, call, to be actually. honest, at the, ti- at the time, I couldn't have told you where Melbourne or Sydney was, so it, I just shrugged my shoulders and thought we were going to the Whit Sundays, so it did not matter,
0: right? <laughs> <You think laughs> that's just down the road, as everybody thinks until they get here.
2: Well, you know, the whole of Australia either looks like a white sand beach or a big red rock,
0: right? <laughs> that's, right. that's it.
2: <laughs> yeah, back back then, I was, you know my ignorance was remarkable. I did I did a year with a small business uh, down St Kilda Road and got them onto a couple of PSAs, but was kind of struggling with the the no-recognized brand and no-network combination. It's really hard. So moved on to link recruitment. And to be frank, I kind of – I had a bit of a crisis of confidence. I thought I'd lost my mojo. I just couldn't really make it work. And I thought, well, maybe maybe Melbourne's not for me. Maybe, you know, recruiting the Australian way isn't for me. Maybe, 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 don't know. Mm. So I was kind of hunting around, you wouldn't believe it, honestly, for a PA role or an EA role. Wow.
3: Um,
2: Which, by the way – I'd be really, really rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> so I, would, I wouldn't I hire me for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, yeah, well, I was doing that. And there's, uh, this amazing um, GM, Rona McLean, at uh, Link Recruitment, she saved me. She basically said to me, A, you'd be really rubbish at that, and B, don't give up. Um, I think you'll make a really good recruiter. Come and give it a try with us, and we'll work out if it's the brand or if it's you. And it was the brand. You know, mm-hmm. we absolutely smashed it and made a made a million dollars in the second year. So, you know, was from from nothing to something very quickly and felt really happy and really comfortable, you know, at length. And so so that, that kind of really worked for me. Um and you're probably thinking, Why did I leave? And I'm beginning to question my own why did I leave? <laughs> why did I leave? And
3: where did I
2: go? I think I went to childhood. I think I got to the point, and I do this all across my career. I get to big teams, you know. For if I get to about mm, thirty plus for more than a year, I'm an ambivert, so I need as much time with people as I need on my own, right. and, I, and it's really equal measures. Or I get very out of sorts. So if I'm running a big team for too long, I get out of sorts. You know, I just I start to resent my lack of personal time, and I resent the my perception of their neediness and how I'm always available and it, it just I start to get really cranky and disruptive so I basically went to Chandler McLeod to run my own deck to just drop I think I had 35 people reporting to me it's too much and I well I'd had enough of it so went off to Chandler's to be solo and build their executive um, headhunting business um, with Nick Chandler who was up in Sydney and I was down in Melbourne with a couple of other awesome guys then I got pregnant and um, was working with the consulting business because you know walking around with a very pregnant belly, mm-hmm. the last thing people are going to do is let you start an executive headhunting campaign for them. <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: <where> <laughs> Retainer. What do you mean?
2: This <laughs> yeah, you, know, you just can't. So, so for me, I was like, well, I can't just sit here. So, put me to work. And the consulting team said, yeah, we're doing a big restructure group, Groupup. Why don't you come and help with the OD stuff, where you know that will m- make you useful, I'm like, yeah, Brilliant. Um, and at the end of that session, the head of HR said to me, did you know that we're in the market for a new head of TA? I said, no. <laughs> I my no. head down, no, was it wasn't. She was like, yep, and I've, I've met a few people and I'm not really seeing what I want and I really, really like what I've seen with you and you could do TA, right? I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, pointing at the stomach, but um, not available for a while. <laughs> she was like, oh, that's completely fine. She so said, you're only taking a three-month maternity you know, peace anyway, so why don't you come back and have a chat when the baby's born? So at uh, I think about five weeks old, I took Harry to an interview with uh, the HRD and the CEO and a couple of the MDs, and I think because he didn't cry, I got the job. (laughs) Well done, Harry. So that was how how the switch happened. You know, Mm. that's how I got in-house, which was, I think, where I was born to be. But, oh, you know, I, I think actually when people ask me, you know, what's your best job, it, my answer is always this one. Because yeah. if it's not, you'd go back to what you were doing before. So every time you have a new job, your favourite job so far needs to be the one you're in, I think. So I've always loved every single job, actually.
0: Yeah, you change over time as your career changes as well, really. It's just a human, yeah. human cycle. Yeah, so, that's awesome. um,. We've been hit the last couple of months as an industry, and we've seen some massive changes come through. And you've been at the steering wheel for quite a few people, and mm-hmm. helping guide a lot of us through that through your mentoring group. What are some of the big changes and problems that you've seen come our way so far?
2: Oh, look! Without a shadow of a doubt, the, the volatility cycles that we've experienced. The thing about TA is that it's it's at the you know, I often call it the tail that wags the dog, but it, it, you know, it's the most visible part of HR in many ways. Mm. Um, you know, any upturn, downturn, restrictions, constraints, mistakes that the, you know, that the company has made, they get magnified in the TA space ten times over. Mm. So we feel everything more, we're seen more, we're, we're easily measured. You know, just all of this stuff is, is high visibility stuff. So when you have a high volatility situation, TA. Really gets buffeted. So we've probably gone through a real emotional roller coaster because of that traditional setup. But you know that's how we are anyway. Yeah. We get we get the magnification of any move. Um, but I think what's you know what's really been going on is that HRs have their head down. I've never seen them so busy nor so effective. Actually, um, you know what they've proven is that operational excellence is a very very important skill. And it's certainly not the poor cousin. Yeah, there hasn't been room for strategy for the last three months. Mm. But the organisations that weren't operationally excellent, oh, you could spot them. You can spot them a mile away now. They're the ones who didn't get their people at home fast enough, you know, who are still struggling to have a work-from-home workforce. The people who couldn't pivot quickly and make this move happen. And there have been organisations that, you know, traditional organisations that you think wouldn't have had a hope of getting their people home fast, who have just stunned me you know done it in five days from a standing start Mm -hmm. seven thousand people at home on the friday when the mandate came down on the monday and you think my god you know how did you do that with your infrastructure with your firewalls with your security standards that were kind of built in 1988 haven't really been reviewed since and all this stuff but they did Mm -hmm. it now that that means hr has suddenly gone up the pecking order And, and i think that's something that TA has probably felt really neglected because HR really has kind of dropped TA for a minute and just said, "Deal with it. We're Mm. we're doing something bigger and more important." And true, it was, it is bigger and more important. Um, But the kind of good news is that suddenly this this you know rhetoric about does HR have a seat at the table? It's like, well, actually, your boss has never been more powerful. Mm. Not in not in our careers, our living memory. The HRD has never been more powerful than he or she is right now. And that is such a golden egg for
0: TA. Okay, can you elaborate on that? And the reason I'm going to ask you to do that mm-hmm. on regards to the TA side is that so many TA people are losing their jobs because businesses seeing that we're not recruiting so we don't need recruiters. It, that's not seeing the big picture on how we treat our people, how we reacting in a crisis and how we're going to rebuild when we're coming out, out the other side of this, which we're beginning to see a little bit of light at the end of that tunnel. So I think that that is short-sighted when a company reacts like that. And then we're all going to remember who those companies are as well when we come mm-hmm. looking for new jobs or whatever we're doing in the future. So what do you see for a TA perspective as HRD is quite important? at the moment but what about the ta guys who are losing their jobs out there yeah yeah look i
2: think um, i think let's not point the finger just at ta let's think about all the people mm. who are losing their jobs out there that's true and mm. you know and i agree with you that whenever somebody's job has to be cut permanently or temporarily it's hideous mm. yeah absolutely And there's always an argument that it's short-sighted regardless of whether it's a you know, bus driver or a TA manager. If I'm going to be really ruthless in my answers, and I'm probably going to be dead unpopular, you you must, as a senior leader, you must cut jobs that are not busy, mm. regardless of which jobs they are. As a senior leader, you know that when the business bounce back again, you're going to have to rehire those people. And you swallow the pill of the fact that you're probably paying 10% more. Because, you know, I worked in banking forever. And... You know, every time they laid off somebody within six to nine months, they have them back again at 10% more. Yeah. Um, but in that six to nine months, they saved significant money and that's what they needed to do to survive.
3: Mm.
2: So, so the, you know, the, the kind of the bad news is that any job that isn't busy is a job that's under threat. And, you know, and whilst a return to the office is something that I think is imminent... Um, cautiously, slowly, I'm sure, but definitely imminent. That doesn't necessarily signal a return to economic performance. I don't want to lie to anyone. I don't want to. I don't want to give anyone false optimism. You know what we are looking at is lurching from a health pandemic into you know, a health emergency, into potentially an economic emergency. You know, I hope I'm wrong. Obviously. Especially as <laughs> a self-employed person, trust me. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, yeah we're both I'm, I'm, you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm certainly not, you know, brushing, you know, painting a picture for other people, uh, painting one for me as well. But, you know, so, I, so what do I think? So I think in this scenario, whether you have your job or you've lost your job, this is that classic moment where you must not let a good crisis go to
3: waste.
2: Mm. Um, you know, these are going to be, they're going to continue to be difficult times one way or another. Um, I'm not convinced that we're going to bounce back to lots and lots of recruiting activity. And even if okay. we do bounce back to economic prosperity, you know, even if we do a, a light bounce and ping back like an elastic band, because Australia is a very special economy mm-hmm. and it's possible, if, let, let's assume we do. Let's assume we ping back and we're all good by Christmas. Then I still think that the nature of TA will have fundamentally changed forever. And I think people need to really... TA leaders in particular really need to get their head around this. So, Burton talks about HR business partners as, you know, being a more T-shaped professional. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, it resonates with me for talent leaders who are very narrow compared to business partners. You know, that T for talent, if we don't get across the top of it, if we don't start being more than just acquisition, then we're really – it's like we're a three-legged stool and we're only standing on one leg. Right, we're pretty shaky and vulnerable. Because this constant thought process that just buying new people is the answer to resourcing yeah. is becoming one that is outmoded. Mm. So you think about you know, you think about the war for talent. Now the war for talent was a brilliant phrase, you know, created by McKinsey, and the whole recruitment and talent acquisition market has surfed that wave. But did you know twenty years next year? really wow that phrase that phrase is 20 years old now you know it, it's an out-of-date phrase yeah. it's an out of date concept and yet here we are we're still pouring loads of money into acquisition into sourcing into EDP and brand and competitive acquisitional activities and that's fine right that, that's got some logic to it but what we're potentially missing is this opportunity to start to shift the dial, you know, to other resourcing solutions and to become the master of those as well. So that, you know, if we go back to that kind of three legged stool analogy, you know, you if you could be TA and internal mobility and outplacement, then you're suddenly stood on three legs of your stool. Solid yeah. as a rock. Doesn't yeah. matter what happens, you still own that process and that experience and that solution. If you're just on a and people stop doing the A, well, that's when you're out of the job. Yeah.
3: Mm.
2: You know, and, and we can we can all see that. Yes, it's great that we've you know, great, awful that we're now in this situation where I have to say it and it's relevant right now. But realistically, we can all stand back and go, Yeah, actually, am I in a defensible position career wise?
3: Mm.
2: Um and the answer very evidently was no. Mm. Um so, so we talk a lot in the program and, you know, Lauren will tell you we talk a lot in my program uh, about becoming a more T-shaped professional, you know, the importance of pushing up and out with the capability that you have because great TA leaders can just about do
0: anything. That's very true. I'm finding you know, myself a jack of all trades at the moment. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, and it's because you're incredibly – I mean,
2: you and many other great TA leaders are massively commercial, really strategic, brilliant influencers, absolutely able to turn their hands to anything, have incredible range in terms of detail versus strategy, marketing and comms, leadership, uh, good at numbers, you know, really the perfect all-rounder.
0: So there's no question in my mind that TA leaders are immensely transferable. I'm glad we're recording this because I'm just going to copy all that down into my CV. (laughs) (laughs) Do it. See it on your LinkedIn profile Rebecca said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. Yeah. So, so
2: therefore, it must
0: be
3: true.
0: That's right. Uh,
2: Yeah, look, I think think TA leaders are immeasurably transferable, immeasurably. Mm. There literally is nothing that they can't do. But the problem is that, like with most people, we kind of think that our work should speak for itself. So we sit there going, I'm immeasurably transferable. Why can you not see that? Well, because they're a bit busy, right? Your HRD is not thinking about what they're going to do with you. Your HRD is expecting you to tell them and Mm. prove it. Yeah. So, so in this world where we are a of our jobs, in this world where we do feel like we're maybe standing on one of those three legs, it's actually up to us to balance ourselves and get those other two legs under control. It's up to us to show and tell and influence people about what more we can do to prove that actually a TA leader is the perfect time mm. for a downsizing. Is your perfect outplacement leader? Is your perfect internal mobility leader? Mm. We have to take that story to the bank. We have to do that. No one else is going to do that for us. And if if we don't do it, then those are the moments where TA just gets cut, flat, and there's no discussion. And then what happens, of course, is that organization scrambles around looking for a really good program manager for their outplacement program. Well, duh. They just let that person go. But they don't know that. We know that. And therefore, it's up to us.
0: That's true. Make ourselves indispensable. That's exactly right, right? We, you
2: know, we have to step up and speak out. Um, and as as my marvelous coach Amanda Gleason would say, step up, speak out, and take charge.
1: Yeah hey just before we came on air um rebecca you were talking about you're seeing some more piecemeal opportunities in the marketplace that's probably across the board not specifically within ta but for the ta people who listen along with you know with us on this podcast who maybe have found themselves out of work are you seeing pockets of piecemeal work within talent as well
2: uh, am i i am i um, what i what i am seeing in the market is more activity in the uh, TA functional review space. Yeah. So I think that kind of links to that becoming a more T-shaped professional, really. There's Mm. quite a lot of organizations who are actually beginning to go, you know, okay, so either we're under pressure to downsize our TA team and we're thinking, what else can they do? Uh, Or we have downsized them, but when we come back into whatever normal looks like in the future should we persist with the old TA model? Mm. Um, so pe- people are taking this this downturn, and it's a TA downturn. You know, it's not a downturn for the rest of HR. They've never been busier. Mm. Um, so it's a TA downturn. So in the TA downturn period, what can be done to totally overhaul the existing model? Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm seeing a lot more of that activity and a lot more of those questions, and there certainly would be or should be opportunities for, Existing TA leaders to start
1: that conversation, mm. and I guess also yeah. there'd be opportunities for that internal mobility piece in some in some businesses and and even outplacement. So how do the how do people who every role they've had has been centered around the the initials TA uh, position maybe their uh, their not their CV but their offering to be able to be considered for for these sort of roles and to be able to push those boundaries out within talent.
2: Yeah. So, it's always easier to repurpose yourself when you're in a job. So, you know, it it just is, right? You can blur the lines between what you used to do and what you intend to do. Uh, You can expand your remit by stealth, or you can expand it by land grabbing, or you can expand it by simply pointing out that no one else is doing it, so you might as well. or no one else is doing it well, so you might as well. Um, it, you know, it will depend on your circumstance in your organization, what the appetite looks like and what your style is and the style of your organization and your leader. So lots of different tactics to do that. But I think, you know, putting together a pretty compelling case that your skills are transferable. And, you know, of all the professionals on the planet, we know how to do this. Yeah, We know how to break down our CV and rebuild it so that it equals internal mobility and then you know break it down and rebuild it again so that it equals head of outplacement. Yeah, we know how to do this, we coach other people to do it. It's our core business to do this. So, I'd really challenge any head of TA who thinks that they can't make the case that they could be the head of internal mobility or the head of outplacement as much as the head of TA. You know, I really would yeah, that's challenge
3: really that. Mm. I would
2: challenge that. I mean, yeah, outplacement and recruitment are. So similar. Yes, they're a mirror image of each other. Yeah, they're a, re- a reversal of each other. They're incredibly similar.
3: Mm.
2: Incredibly similar. Yes, there's some room for more learning. Of course there is, but the core business is incredibly similar.
1: Mm. And and would um, you suggest, given your experience, would you suggest at interview stage that they take along their five week old son <laughs> Harry? <laughs>
2: I tell, you, I tell you what. If I if I could have bottled Harry in that interview, I, I'd be, I wouldn't be talking to you today. I'd be living on my private island somewhere. Yeah, so amazing. The, the child just the child just stared at them thoughtfully. You know, looking like a really intelligent kid. Yeah, it was great. He was he was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Had I had I bought my second son out. That was uh, <laughs> that that was the catalyst for me going to post. Actually, was when I was on maternity leave with number two, uh, Ed. And post-call. So yeah. stop having babies, stop changing jobs.
1: Um, <laughs> no, <really. laughs> um, yeah, no, I think Ed would have been a totally different telephase actually. <laughs> I, th- th- there's always one, they all have their skills, don't they? But you also did mention, you know, earlier in your discussion that, that it is easier if you're in employment to make those changes to your, your career or your parameters around your, your existing job. So anyone who's, would you suggest or you know that anyone who's in a talent acquisition role at the moment in a in a medium to larger size business that they have these conversations with their one-ups about opportunities to help with internal mobility or the outplacement piece even when needed and really start pushing that out now
3: shit
2: yeah can i do that can i (laughs) swear yeah absolutely Yes. yes yes if you're not already doing it get on that Mm. the the only the only TA functions that have an excuse not to do it are the ones who are flat out yeah. you know yeah and and there are there are a handful of those who are at four hundred and eight hundred percent capacity
3: mm.
2: um you know Coles I think put twelve thousand people in in the last three months
3: oh, you know
2: and there's me thinking Christmas Councils sort or of Post was a big deal haha <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah it's kind of I'm really kind of embarrassed about how much fuss we have made about that because know, yeah, what Coles are achieving. And and keeping their eye on the strategic piece like their diversity hiring strategies it you know, has been nothing short of remarkable. Yeah.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, my hat goes off to that team,
0: 100%. I know, looking at what they've done and Australia Post and also increasing their deliveries. Uh, I know I got a par- parcel delivered on a Sunday the other week. Yeah. So... Well, parcel,
2: parcel deliveries are at 800% according to one of my contacts out there. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a funny polarising business, isn't it, right? Mm. You're, either, you're either wildly busy or mm. you the complete opposite and that kind of normal in the middle has totally vanished hasn't it
0: mm. well that's very true so what sort of changes like, have you seen in ta that have been a really positive change that we can take forward into uh, a post-covid 19 world mm. well well what do i think so
2: mm. tough question i know Look, i yeah, you know, that kind of crystal ball question that we're
0: all It all is, at. it is. Uh, and the thing yeah. is, we're going to be totally and utterly wrong because in our lifetime, we have never experienced this. No, we have not. No, we have not. You're absolutely right. So,
2: so what do I think? So I think probably um, they're not going to be specific to TA, but I think the, the proof that people can work and work productively from home, mm, that's um, a big one, yeah. that I don't think we're going to lose that knowledge. I think that leaders who have feared to lead this way will have overcome their fear by the time people go back to the office.
3: Mm.
2: Um, so the sense of, you know, I want you in the office so I can see you, will have dissipated yeah. to an extent. So I think there's something in there around the productivity piece. I think that within TA, there's no question in my mind that the urgent switch to totally virtual onboarding mm. has really finished the job. You know, we, we were kind of going there, and, and many organisations were already there, but this has really finished the job, um, hopefully. And, mm. you know, and from now on, induction, onboarding, pre-boarding, blah, 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 blah. It should all be done on your mobile phone. Like, really, no excuses now. Just do it. So some some of those things I think will be really great. But I think there are some areas where this uh, this era, this period, has really exposed a couple of problem areas that are going to need more investment. So one, for me, is not functional investment in TA stuff. They're so not the widgets that allow us to do the bits better but actually the integration of data and the assimilation of insights. Mm. You know, one of the things that I know is that most HR teams are still pulling data out literally by hand and manually manipulating it to find out what the hell's going on with their businesses, and that is not okay. That's not acceptable, and it's not HR's fault either. So, you know, CIOs are going to need to stand up, and executive teams are going to need to prioritise people systems now like they've never done before. They kind of said it and they talked about it, but heels have definitely been dragged, and that yeah, you're right. It's
0: never been a priority. The yeah, business has always shop. been a priority. The people functioned not so much. That's exactly right. Yeah. And yeah, and and recruitment has
2: actually been the one that bucks the trend. So recruitment has had, or TA has had a massive amount of investment. Huge. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at you look at the value of the startup industry, particularly in the talent and acquisition sector. Yeah. Ridiculous. Billions.
3: Mm.
2: Ridiculous. Now, you know, unfortunately, if I, if, you know, if, if we, if we were to cut out the six months of, of COVID intensity and, you know, sew together December to let's say September or something like that and pretend it never happened, I still think there are going to be some trends that we need to be really conscious of because whilst they've gone quiet, they haven't stopped trending. Before Christmas, uh, TA was getting slower and slower and slower. Mm-hmm right? So, for the last five years, no question, TA has not got faster, it's got slower. So, the the Australian average right now is 68 days, I think, 69 days.
0: Oh, wow. That's still out there.
2: Now, that's, you know, so that's not getting faster. Uh, We are spending more money. So, whilst we'll all argue that the cost per hire has gone down, and it has, the cost of model has gone up because of all this investment in tech, people, etc. And our Satisfaction ratings, I'm not – I think in candidate experience, it's going up gradually, but manager experience is going down. Right. So, you know, before Christmas, for the last year and a half, two years, pretty much every HR report on the planet would state that talent acquisition um, or access to talent, however you wanted to phrase it, was in the top three people concerns for every CEO. In every organize, in every industry, in every country in the world. Yeah. So what what does that mean? That means for a CEO, TA is a pain point, and a continued, long range pain point. It continues to be a pain point from what a CEO.
0: what are those pain points though? What do you, is each one individually different depending on the company structure, or? Uh, it's, so um, timely access to quality
2: talent is what a CEO would consider a problem.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So literally, I can't get my hand my hands on the right people fast enough. That that is really what they care about. If you go down to an HRD level, at, a, at an HRD level, they would probably say, and it's more expensive. Uh, well, not more expensive, and it's still expensive. Um, you know, TA will still be one of the bigger budget tickets for an HRD. Mm-hmm. TA and L and D will probably be the top two, and your HRD would probably add. And I'm getting lots of noise from hiring managers. Lots. So again, if you ask an HRD, where's the majority of your hiring manager noise coming from? You know, unfortunately, it's going to be related to talent acquisition. Oh, sorry, that's me. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, your
1: next meeting's due.
2: <laughs> no, 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 I wouldn't dare put something hot on the heels of talking to you guys. Um, hmm. So, so, so I, so I think, I think that whilst you know, there's there's a very strong argument that a lot of these things are outside of the remit of talent acquisition. So. A lot of these reputational issues and manager experience issues and timeliness issues actually sit outside of the traditional function of TA. So, you know, things like REM is off and it makes it impossible to hire, or the job design hasn't been reviewed, so we're recruiting the old version of what we really want, so we've had to start all over again, or the approval processes take longer than the actual bloody recruitment does, you know, or the onboarding is so terrible that people are leaving, so it makes it look mm. like it was a bad hire. It wasn't a bad hire. Or we've got really terrible leaders who just kind of ignore their new starters. And there's all these kind of things at the beginning and at the end of a real recruiting experience that are outside of the control of the recruitment function. And that is definitely having an impact on the reputation of TA and and has been for years, which means that it has an impact on the reputation of HR and it has done for years. And now that HR has suddenly, you know, its reputation has shot up, like now it will be sitting much closer to probably on the right hand of the CEO right now, which used to be the job of the CFO. Mm -hmm. You know, now that HR is right up there, most savvy HR directors are not going to risk anything that pulls their reputation back down again. Mm. And if TA wasn't fixed before Christmas, it needs to fix its shit now. It does.
0: So, do you think that that's a matter of TA calling out to the hiring managers and going, "Hey, guys, you're not doing this part right. That's affecting my job."
2: I think there's a lot more partnering mm-hmm. that needs to go on. A lot less service provision and a lot more partnering yeah. at the front end. At the front end of TA, I think there's a lot better uh, operational excellence at the back end. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more focus that needs to happen on hiring manager experience. You know, I think we've we've done amazingly on CX. Mm. Um, I'd really like to see us do the same on manager experience
3: Yeah.
2: Um, you know so so I think there is all of that I also think you know it's the opportunity to stand up and step out right if we can if we can have this conversation if we can own these concerns and these risks for HR and if we can have a plan to do something about it then we can kill two birds with one stone Mm. you know we can protect the TA industry moving forward, we can stop that trend that was happening of it's getting slower, more expensive and less satisfactory that was happening in a lot of a lot of organisations not all of them of course but a lot of them for the last two years if we can stop that trend you know by fixing some of those little friction points and those repeat complaint areas, just get into them and hammer them out, if we can do that then we're defending the one leg that we've got if we're just TA. And if, we, and if while we do that, we're actually beginning to identify the problems come from elsewhere in HR, which they often do, and you actually take a little bit of ownership of those things. So it could be, for example, workforce planning. Mm. Mm. You know, 99% of the time we're delivering slowly because we weren't expecting it. Well, there's a really simple solution in there, and yet we don't own workforce planning. So, you know, there are opportunities here to take hold of the things that are impacting our ability to perform rather than be passive, you know, actually get on the front foot and and own it. And what we're doing by doing that is building more legs to stand on.
0: That's true. And there's a lot we can take off the plate of HR at the moment and give them some more breathing room and make ourselves a little bit more indispensable. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so true. Yeah.
2: So yeah, I, I think, yeah, I just think it's a golden opportunity to rethink TA properly, not, not rethink TA within the, the narrow confines of TA, but actually think about the transferability of what we do to other areas that need more help or mm. fixing or no one's doing it right now.
1: And we're probably going to have to give it another label, aren't we, in talent acquisition, if we're going to push yeah. out those boundaries.
2: Yeah, that's true. Do you, know, I really, I, you, know, you know what? I actually really hate the title talent acquisition. Yeah. And I know, I don't, yeah, I don't love, I don't love recruitment. Don't get me wrong, um, but I don't like it because I don't think that anyone wants to be acquired.
0: Mm. Maybe we need to come up with a new moniker and, um, yeah, start a trend. I think,
2: yeah, look, I think so. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you read uh, Gareth Flynn's recent um, approach, which is talent engagement and mobility. Oh, that's um, a good title. Far more holistic, and it you know it spells team, how nice is that? Uh, it's very cute. Um, it's far more holistic, right? It actually talks about the whole, you know, anyone who joins, anyone who moves around, and anyone who leaves, yep, and comes back. Mm. So you know, if you're a return to worker, that campaign of communications and engagement would sit with this new talent business. Um, now, I think that's an absolute no-brainer. We went quite a long way down that pathway with my business at Post. Mm -hmm. Um, where we owned about 75% of people who came into the organization, about 95% of people who moved around the organization, and anyone who left the organization in a planned way. So what I mean by that is kind of outplacement. Mm.
3: Um,
2: There were loads of bits that we didn't own, but ultimately what we were doing was was leveraging things like Post People First to actually start to have our own engagement channel, our own career channels, our own way of helping people to identify what's out there and what they could do, both inside and outside the organisation. Now, that, that was triggered because of a downturn. You know, we were going to lose 10,000 people, and we didn't because of this thing that we did. So, so I, you know, I know from that very arduous experience that this approach is far more robust than the ones we have now. You know, what we have now with TA on one leg is it's only good in growth markets. Yeah. Mm. The minute we stagnate or fall, it's out of the job. If it's more of a holistic solution like that, then no matter which market and no matter which direction resourcing is going in, whether it's inflation, deflation, whether the mix of contracts of a firm has changed, it doesn't matter whether you're going to part-time, etc., coming back to full-time, whatever. If you've got one function owning all of that, then that function is future-proof. That's very true. Very, very true. That's what I want for TA. That's my big challenge to put out there to say, why can't you be that? Why can't we all strive for that? Because that is of immense strategic value to an organisation. That means that you're delivering congruent experiences for people when they're candidates, when they're employees and when they're ex-employees. You know, you're living your EVP. You're bringing your whole EVP to life right across the career experience and you're protecting the jobs of the people on your teams from just about any further volatility.
0: Well, there you go. Let's future-proof ourselves, our departments, and change our name to Talent Engagement and Mobility. Yeah, we like that. So thanks to Gareth for that. That like was it. kind
2: of groovy. Okay, yeah, we so do.
0: Talent Engagement and Mobility person. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to try and see if we can start a trend on that.
1: We'll be called the Team Team. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the team the team. team. team.
2: <laughs> That's right, yeah. exactly. And I think, yeah, well, we've, we've definitely been playing with that because it's, you know, it's the talent team. And then you're
0: like, no, the team and team is the talent. You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah,
2: okay. We haven't, we haven't quite nailed it, but we're getting
0: there. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm going to be future-proofed team team. <laughs> yeah, ISO is definitely getting to me. I'm finally going crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And on that note, we're going to have to wrap it up a little bit here now, Rebecca. We've been talking for, it feels like about five minutes, but it's been Nearly forever. An hour. And, and <laughs> these insights are amazing. And, um, uh, you know, we're really thankful that you could join us today. And hopefully you'll join us again throughout the year as, as we change, as the industry changes and as the economy and the community and everything else changes along with it.
0: Yeah, and no, I'd love to. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on, Rebecca. It was great to speak to you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, everyone out in TilePod land, I'll see you all later.
1: Bye from me too. Bye.
0: We wouldn't have been able to bring you today's episode without the support of the Recruitment Events Company, Australia and New Zealand.
1: Not only is Andrea Kirby a beautiful woman, but but her and her team have been supporting the TA community with brilliant events for over four years.
0: Wreckfest is the best event on my calendar and most of yours as well. And RL100 is a community of talent leaders who are changing the world.
1: They certainly are. And later this year, they're going to be bringing even newer events like Next Wave Talent in July and Talent Tech Rising in September.
0: So jump on their mailing list now by visiting recruitmentevents.com.au.
1: And as always, please let them know that Tarpod, Tar-Pod sent you. Sent you.
0: Thanks for listening to Tarpod. Please don't forget to subscribe and look out for upcoming podcasts. You wish you had recorded that one, don't you? (laughs) Boom, baby. (laughs) We're back to speaking. It's Lauren.